Hello there. We'd like to welcome you to the virtual kitchen table. We're Erin from Ever Learning, Ashley from Ashley as Mama and Storytime Shelves, and myself, Hayley, from Taking a Kinder Path. We're gathering for conversations about family life and home education, particularly unschooling, which is sometimes known as self-directed learning, or as I like to call it, natural learning. We'll be sharing our experiences and ideas, learning as we go. We hope you'll pull a chair up to the table and join us. Hello, everybody. Oh, welcome back to the virtual kitchen table. Um, I'm Hayley, and I'm here today with Ashley. Hello, Ashley. Hi, Hayley. Hi, guys. Hello. Hello. And I'm here with Erin as well. Hi, Ashley. Hi, Hayley. Hello, it's nice to see you two again. Um, today we're doing an episode on what is unschooling. We thought we'd go right back to the basics and think about, uh, we mentioned we mentioned the term unschooling quite a lot on the podcast and we thought it would be really good to go back and think about uh, what unschooling means to us um, and yeah, and how, how it affects our lives, I guess. Um, so the term unschooling, as far as I know it, um, comes from John Holt, who was a, um, an American teacher, um, and he taught high school, I think. Um, and he, um, as, as his career progressed, I think his observations of children in the classroom um, learning were very different to the observations that he was making about children that he was interacting with in more natural environments, let's say, so informal environments, I guess. So his sister, I don't think he, he wasn't a parent, as far as I know, uh, but his sister had children um, and he had lots of close friends with young children. And I think he, he was very interested in how children learn. And I think there was a lot of frustration that, that um, about how the children in his classroom were learning and that he felt, you know, he was teaching, but they weren't always learning what he was expecting them to learn. Um, so we thought about this more and more and um, gradually I think he got more and more disillusioned with the classroom setting and felt that the observations that he was making informally were that ch young children uh, were so enthusiastic about learning and seemed to pick stuff up so quickly um, and yet in the classroom he was noticing that a lot of the children were I guess um, I think what he thought there was a lot of fear, fear about failing, fear about getting stuff wrong. And I think that led him to think, you know, um, yeah, how is that affecting their learning? So he came up with this idea of unschooling. And I think initially he was um, interested in reforming the school system, but eventually he got to the point, as far as I understand it, that he thought that really the system wasn't suitable for reform. So he became quite a passionate advocate for homeschooling. Um, and unschooling, as he decided to term it. Um, so I'm interested anyway. I thought um, how I'm interested in how we learn about the term unschooling, where it popped up in our lives. So, Erin, um, do you fancy starting? Yeah, sure, sure. Um, so I think I learned about unschooling, or I first heard the term very shortly after I, I kind of heard the term homeschooling. Um, and I had heard, I'd probably heard the word homeschooling, but not in a very serious way. And so I think I've 
probably mentioned before that when my oldest was a baby, I was out for a walk with uh, another mom and we had, you know, babies in strollers. And she mentioned she was planning to homeschool um, and that she herself had been homeschooled. And so this was really um, like fascinating to me because I, hmm, I'd never really conceptualized it, but looking back, I realized for myself that I had probably had an unschooling philosophy myself for a long time. Like, you know, my dad will joke, I dropped out of nursery school. <laughs> I, I, I sort of, I was always looking for kind of a different path or a different way to learn. So when she mentioned homeschooling, I was very, very interested in that. Um, and it's like so many things in life, once you hear things, all of a sudden you notice there are opportunities or, or examples in front of you. So it couldn't have been, I don't know, maybe a couple months later that we were at a, like a, what's what here was called a family resource center and it's just kind of a place where kids play and you know do stories and that kind of thing and there was a family there who said they homeschooled and they described themselves as um unschooling so I thought okay this is interesting it sounds a little bit like what this other mom said but also maybe a little bit different um and then over that kind of next few months I got to know both of them really well. And then I met another homeschool family and another family that said they were unschooling. And so I just started to, I think it seemed a little bit normal maybe to me because I started to realize that people that I knew were homeschooling or unschooling their older, their older kids. However, I, it took me a little bit of time to, I mean, as you know, and as I'm sure we're going to talk about today, you can give kind of like a, a generic definition of unschooling, um, but each person has to define that for themselves. So it was just kind of fascinating for me, I guess, to sort of see that unfold a little bit. I think the definition that the um, first unschooling mom I met, I think her, I mean, I don't remember the exact words, but the idea that I took away was that it was learning without curriculum, like that that was sort of the um, way that she described it. And I was invited actually to uh, an unschooling group. I think, I think we went skating or I, I can't remember. Um, and a lot of the conversation was about not using curriculum. So I don't know whether it was just that day or whether that was kind of the way that, that that particular group tended to define it, but that, that was my takeaway from it. And I, I remember going to um, a science museum, like an interactive science museum. And what hit me, I guess, while we were there was that as much as they weren't using curriculum, they were looking almost constantly for teachable moments. So it was like everything that we went to had to be described and explained and tried. Like it, there was kind of like a almost a push for the kids to be doing hands-on things. And at the time I remember thinking this seems really exhausting because it was almost as though they were replacing curriculum with the museum information. So I, I it, it's, it was almost like a really literal interpretation of not using curriculum, but it was kind of being replaced by, by other things. So it took me a little bit of time to figure out I, I think I didn't even though I was surrounded by some people who who said they were unschooling and I'm not saying they weren't that's I'm sure we'll talk about that today anybody is free to define 
to define unschooling as they as they wish. Um, but yeah, my first my first experience was kind of a replacement of curriculum or uh, a lack of curriculum. So, yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> and I can share a little bit um, of my experience and, and I might have shared some of it um, in previous episodes, but um, I really enjoy hearing um how people kind of come into homeschooling, um, but specifically come into unschooling. Cause I feel like I had a pretty um, like different experience than you, Aaron um, with of course, like some similarities too, but um, for us, so my background is teaching. Um, so like growing up in the school system myself and then going off to university and becoming a teacher um, and then spending like a lot of time in schools and classrooms. Um, when I had my my two kids, um, there was no thought of homeschooling. We didn't know also where we live. Um, and I, I think I've shared this for sure here before on the podcast. Like I didn't, we didn't know any other homeschoolers. It just wasn't really part of our world. I had heard of homeschooling. Um, I think even as a kid, I knew homeschooling was a thing. Um, but, uh, yeah, I didn't know anyone. It wasn't really our plan at all. Um, and then, and then I had my own kids. Um, and I definitely had not heard the term unschooling. Um, we were unschooling before I knew it had a name, (laughs) um, I would have loved to have met someone in person. Um, but I am great. Um, so it was during the pandemic, which I've shared on the podcast before, um, in a previous episode, kind of how we got to unschooling and it was during the pandemic. Um, so with my oldest being, I guess, six, um, so grade one here, um, it had already been a few years of school because two years of kindergarten and then grade one. And I can't say we were considering homeschooling, but something inside of me was just like, feeling there has to be a better option. There has to be a better way because this just doesn't seem to be working great. Um, But again, around a bunch of people who were like, this is normal. This is what it's like. They'll get used to it. You do school basically was the message. Um, And yeah, the plan was the kids would go to school and then I would go teach you to school for work full time. That was, that was just the path we were on. And then the silver lining to the pandemic for us was that we had to homeschool (laughs) and um, having my teaching background led me to, um, I guess, start homeschooling in a more traditional sense. Um, And I know I've shared here how my eldest kind of um, led the way down a different path where um, we quickly realized that um, homeschooling in a traditional sense just wasn't going to be what worked, which made a lot of sense to me pretty early on because school at school wasn't working great. So why would school at home really be that different? Um, even though I was, I thought it was quite different the way I was doing it still was not the way it was going to work for us, um, or for him. So, um, grateful, even though I didn't meet anyone in person, grateful for, um, just like the online community, the blog posts, um, the podcasts, the books that I read. Um, I've shared before that I've 
uh, hear about Dr. Peter Gray. Um, I read his book early on, and it would have been around that time where I was kind of introduced to this idea of unschooling. And it was one of those moments for me where I read about unschooling, finally came across the term unschooling. And I was like, oh, this is what we're doing. This is this has a name to it, which felt really great. And I think just having, even though, and I'm sure we'll get into this, even though um, I don't consider unschooling um, like the best uh, name or label, I guess, and I, the, you know, I don't love it. It was hearing unschooling. It was hearing that word from wherever it was I first heard it that allowed me to access a world I didn't know about that I really needed to know more about, not just to make more connections with other people who were already unschooling and kind of living life this way. Um, but just like I said, all the blog, like, cause then I could search, right? Like I could go online um, and I could search blog posts on unschooling um, podcast episodes um, and come across different books and lists of resources that um, I almost didn't know that I was needing, but it was all, um, because I had learned about that, that label or whatever we want to call it unschooling. Um, yeah, maybe I'll leave it there. But um, yeah, I wish I could remember to give the the person credit. I wish I could remember exactly who first introduced me to it, but it would have been it wouldn't have been in person. So now, um, in person, when I'm talking to other people, I do make a point of using that word because it kind of opened the door for me, which I was really grateful for. Oh, that's so interesting, actually, and and I and I know we'll talk about that a bit more um, later on about um, yeah whether we use that term or not in person. Um, but yeah, just just like you, uh, home education, unschooling, but none of that was on our agenda at all. I was a, a school governor at a couple of schools. I was um, on the PTA. My children were eleven, nine, and five, so they were all at school. Um, school was the focal point for our community, I think, really. Um, and and I was working in a college, so I, I was also teaching in a college. And and I actually came across the term when I was doing some research on lesson planning, and the internet delivered me a podcast, a great podcast, which I don't think you can get anymore, which is such a shame, but a podcast by a person called Sarah Parent, and she was talking about her family's decision not to send her children to nursery and school. Um, but she, but, but there was so much more than that because she was also talking about um, the respectful communication that that um, that she'd been learning about. I mean, I, there was just it. It was, it, I guess, it was radical unschooling. That's what it was. Now I don't know if she used that term, but it was the the whole whole life kind of um, approach rather than just not sending her kids to school. She was kind of thinking about how this unschooling business worked for all areas of her life, and I and I feel like, um, although we were at school, a lot of the other aspects of our life um, were quite unschooly-ish, if you like. We were very flexible with things like bedtimes and I don't know um, sweets and you know when they were playing and what they were playing with and all that kind of stuff. I don't know. We, we were we were quite flexible parents, I guess. And um, for me, the thing about, the thing that stood out to me was the whole, the respect piece, really. It was the whole, the way that she spoke to her children, the way she talked about um, how she wanted her children to be able to make choices and how they 
wanted to facilitate that in their children's lives. That that was the thing that stood out to me. And I just love, so I've actually heard, I had heard about somebody home educating um, a little while before, and it was a friend of a friend. And, and it was kind of, it was a passing comment. And I think my friend and I both thought, hmm, oh, I think we said to each other, oh, I don't, I don't really know how I feel about that. And then we kind of went on with our lives. <laughs> and then suddenly I was confronted with not just homeschooling, but unschooling. And it was at that moment, I think, when I saw how it related to our lives as a whole, I think, that's when, um, yeah, that's when I thought, oh my goodness, I, you know, I need to, to, I need to look into this a bit more. And then just like you, Ashley, we were led by our eldest child in that, um, she heard that you, she heard, overheard some of the podcast and discovered that you didn't have to go to school. And she was blown away by that idea, as was I, because I, I hadn't, you know, I hadn't considered that that was an option. I just thought everybody went to school and that's what we did and, 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 you know, and we were all making the best of it. Um, so yeah, once she, once she got hold of that idea though, there was no stopping that really. And she was um, very excited and, yeah, and, and we ended up yeah, we ended up going down the road of, of home education. But going down the road right at the beginning really, in terms of yeah, unschooling, that was the, the the first thing that really resonated for us about home education. So um that's where that's where we came from. But thinking about what you just said actually about talking to people using the term unschooling, um, that's a funny one because we've been home editing for for 14 years now and I don't think I use the term unschooling in kind of real in-person in-person conversations very often although funnily enough it seemed to I seem to be hearing it a lot from other people recently in, in my local community which is interesting but I feel like the terms kind of you know, I, I'll often say, oh, we're quite flexible. We use the word flexible again. <laughs> uh, we're quite relaxed. That kind of, that's how I would probably describe our home education rather than saying unschooling until, yeah, until, until I guess somebody else might, somebody else brings it up and then I might talk about it. Mm. I don't know. I don't know about you, Erin. Yeah. Well, I wonder too about the about kind of time periods. Um, I'm not sure because because I'm thinking. So we started homeschooling in 2003, I guess, but we were starting even in like 2001, 2002 to kind of go to a couple of these groups. And other than that, um, sort of smaller group of people that were, I think, gathered around the idea of unschooling. I noticed that people didn't really talk as much about what style of, of homeschooling they did. So I don't know if maybe it was because it wasn't as maybe as common back then, although we found a pretty big homeschool group right off the bat. Um, but I don't remember, like I remember the focus more being finding things for the kids to do together. Um, we would do like some group learning things, some field trips, places, but I don't remember hearing a lot of conversation um, about exactly what style people were doing. I mean, people would bring, 
you know, if they were finished with something, they would bring resources and um, like curriculum to exchange. It wasn't that it wasn't talked about at all, but it's almost more in hindsight that I look back and I can think of like, oh, that family was doing like a Charlotte Mason approach or like it's, it, it wasn't the focal point of the conversation. Um, I can look back and definitely, you know, there were a few people who would have been more doing like an unschooling approach and others that um, I know their kids were doing Latin and whatnot. So they were probably doing classical, but it wasn't the focal point of our time together. But it's also, I guess that leads me to think, you know, have we moved more toward um, labeling things or kind of putting things in categories? But I also, it's also hard to know. We only ever see things through the lens that is important to us at the moment. So I think for me, my, my focus at that time was really in finding social opportunities. That was my, that was my focus. So the actual learning piece of it, I think because we'd come from sort of a connected attachment parenting paradigm to begin with, we just kind of eased into learning was already happening without me worrying too much really about what it was called. So I don't remember thinking that much about that word or, or any of the other words. And, you know, also my oldest child was very self-determined and had, you know, he just had ideas about what he wanted to do and what he wanted to learn and, and how that kind of flowed for him. So some of that just happened naturally because he was directing so much of his own learning anyway. So yeah, it's just, it's, it's interesting to, you know, maybe there was more conversation about how people identified themselves, but because I was just, my focus was really on finding social opportunities and, and um, recreational opportunities. That's maybe just, maybe that's just where my brain space was at at that time but yeah it's fun it's just kind of funny to think about that the importance of the word or not well I think yeah. and sorry Ashley go um, ahead another thing that um yeah well another thing that happened I guess for me that that was that after I once we decided that we were we were going to home educate or even before we decided actually I spoke to some local, I managed to find a local group and, uh, and I spoke to people on the telephone and actually some families even invited me to come and visit them. While my children were still at school, they invited me to come and visit them and talk about home education and that was amazing and I'll be forever grateful. Um, and there were three families in particular, I'm, I'm a bit of a researcher because <laughs> I, um, you know, this was all part of me researching and um and, and out of those three families, definitely two of them um, were very, they, they were also very interested in the whole philosophy of unschooling. And that, and, and of course, part of my um, discussions with them was about how I had discovered home education. And, and so that led to us talking about unschooling. And, and, and of course, they knew a lot, a lot more than me at that time, because they, they were, they'd been doing this for a long time. So I was lucky enough to have those um, that those in-person interactions in those early days, I guess, that just helped me. I mean, I, I remember, you know, having like hour-long conversations on the phone um, with one of the mums in particular and just, just discussing 
um, you know, the whole, the, the ideas that, you know, it, it was just, yeah, I was just really lucky that I, I had people, I guess, that I was able to, to discuss those ideas with and, um, and it helped me to kind of formulate, I guess, um, you know, make some decisions about how I kind of wanted to organise our, our life, I guess. Um, and I think, yeah, for my, for my children, I had two, my eldest two were classic, fitted into school quite well. N not, I'm not saying that they were necessarily happy there all the time or comfortable, but they were, you know, they got good grades and they were fairly amenable and did, you know, mostly did what they were told and, um, they kind of fitted in really well. Although there has there, there were a couple of incidents that happened that um that, that had got me thinking more and more about this whole idea of respecting children and, and what children's rights were in society. And um one of my daughters, for instance, had a thing about um she only wanted to wear the summer uniform the whole way through the school year. And this became a bit of a problem for the school because they had photographs taken and they didn't want her in the summer uniform because they wanted her in the, you know, they must be having photos taken, I'm sure it was before Christmas for gifts for parents and stuff. So it was going to ruin the photograph because she wasn't wearing the winter uniform. Um, <laughs> and, and I remember thinking, is this really a problem? You know, she is wearing the uniform and, you know, so she was complying, but only up to that, that wasn't enough for them. And then there, were, there was another incident, I think, where she um, refused to sit down when the teacher said that they all had to gather on the carpet. And I think the issue was for her that there wasn't room on the carpet. And they were kind of like, you know, you've got to sit on the carpet and then I'll, I'll talk to you. And she's like, well, I'm listening. I'm ready to listen. There just isn't room for me on the carpet. And, and it, it kind of these things. And, they, and I remember the, the teacher being really sort of shocked telling me that she just did this wasn't in, in my daughter's character as far as she was concerned. You know, and she kind of thought that, that I don't know, it was a real big deal for her because she couldn't understand why she was being so awkward. <laughs> but I think from my daughter's perspective, she wasn't being awkward at all. But I don't know, there, there were other things as well. There were things in my, in my job as well that, that in the college that was really making me think about you know are we respecting are we respecting children and uh, my, my conclusion was becoming more and more that that I don't know there was quite a lack of respect um and I think that was the yeah for me as I've said that's the thing that appealed to me early on yeah that stands out to me a, a lot Haley, because that I can really, really relate to that respecting kids because like similar to what you were saying early, earlier, Aaron, like we had um, just when our, our firstborn was born, just kind of, I put it, there's probably a better way of putting this, but like fell into that, uh, like whatever you want to call it, attachment parenting paradigm or um, what it all came down to was respecting this, this little human being that I was responsible for. And, you know, you go from infant toddler preschool and then they go into school age and so we spend you know the first few years respecting this little child and expecting the people around them you know whether it's extended family or friends to also respect this little human being that we've brought into this world and I remember um so my eldest went to um a local co-op nursery school uh, which we really liked um and it was really not for well not not that it wasn't for learning, you obviously learned when you went, but it was really just like an opportunity for, um, like I had my second at that time, 
who was, um, you know, I was taking care of, of him. And this was an opportunity for my oldest guy to go and play with other kids. And it was just, um, just a couple hours in the morning. And it was a really gentle um, play-based. They were outside lots. It was really nice nursery school. And so I felt that when we dropped him off, he was taken care of there and he liked going there and it was all good and positive. And that felt fine. It felt good. And then once school started, that's what I started running into. I felt like I didn't know how to continue making sure that the people in my son's life were respecting him. And like, what did that mean? Right. And when I really try to break it down, I think about, okay, his needs are not being met. His needs are being ignored. And that, you know, looked a different way. And it's not to say that when he went to school, he didn't have good moments or didn't make friends or, you know, all that stuff. But overall, I remember having that feeling of just like, I was almost as the mom starting to fail at making sure that, um, especially the people in his life, like the adults in his life that are responsible for taking care of him, you know, when he's at school all day. Um, and they were kind people, like, don't get me wrong. These, these were kind teachers who were, you know, doing well. Uh, it's funny. I laugh because I always make a point of saying that, <laughs> but at the end of the day, I, I would pick him up and I just felt like he wasn't in an environment that was respecting who he was as a whole person. And he was having to try to quickly learn to be something else and his needs weren't being met. So I really relate when people say that, um, as far as like the respect that, that children are given in any environment. Um, and our experience was just that it was once school started where I started to realize I didn't know how to make that work. Cause I'm not there, <laughs> you know, you do, you, I was handing him over. Um, and I felt that, you know, for all the various reasons, um, his, he wasn't being respected as a whole person. Um, and then same thing once the pandemic started and we started home educating and, and unschooling, um, when I, tr well, so when, before we started unschooling, I guess when I tried to do the more like structured school type lessons, um, that's what I was running into. How do I do this in a way that is still respectful, that doesn't, um, however you want to put it, like break our connection. Um, and I just really had to take some time to figure out how to make that work. Because of course, all those years before school, and even once he was in school, I could see the learning was happening, right? Like you could see that um, learning was just naturally happening in all these wonderful ways. But it was when I was coming in with, you know, maybe my teacher hat on or my worried parent hat on being like, oh, but you're supposed to be learning this right now. And I couldn't do it in a way that felt good, you know, whether it meant that one of us would be upset um, or, or however it looked. It just, I was like, this, there has to be a different way. Um, but it, it really it really did come down to, and that's when I explain it to other people when they ask, <laughs> I don't bother if they don't ask, um, that I just needed to find a way to like live life, learning included in a way that felt good to both of us and respected him as a whole person and, um, and our relationship at the same time. And I'm, I mean, I'm talking about my oldest, I do this with, <laughs> with both my kids, but it was just the oldest one who had to deal with me figuring it out in the first place. And actually before I, sorry, Aaron, before I just, um, 
wanted to mention before we get too far away from it. Um, I don't. So when I said that, like, I make a point of using the term unschooling when talking to other people. Lots of times I don't like if we're just at the grocery store and someone says, why aren't you in school? Or are you excited that school's going back in or something? Um, it's just I usually still quickly say because um, well, sometimes the kids do, too. But I'll just say, oh, we homeschool because around here, people, mo it seems like most people like that's the 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 way of putting it where they're like oh okay um whereas if i <laughs> or even if i said oh they don't go to school um which i've tried once or twice people like are so baffled by that and they're like well what do you mean they don't go to school whereas if i just say you know for example like grocery store post office or something like that where it's not necessarily going to be a full conversation if i just say oh we homeschool they're like oh okay and then you just carry on but um but it's when maybe with a friend or like a neighbor who sees that they're they're not in school where there's an opportunity then or if they ask, like if someone does ask, although I find people are asking that a lot less as well in my experience um, compared to a couple of years ago after the pandemic. I don't know if people are just trying to figure things out more then, um, but I will still like if someone asks, I will throw that term in there just so that someone else has an opportunity to be like, ooh, unschooling. And you never know where that might lead them. Yeah. Um, oh, so, so much. So I'm going to have to try to remember here because um, Haley, it's some pieces that were jogging my memory around some stuff. And then Ashley, you just did as well. Um, I guess one of the things that I was thinking about when I thought about the topic today is that we, so when we have this word unschooling, you know, we might be looking for a clean definition. Other people might be looking for a clean definition. Um, but there's actually so many different pieces to it. And so you just, when, when you were talking there, Ashley, like you hit so much on, I guess, the respect and consent end of things, right? Because I think this unschooling encompasses so many pieces. And so that piece around like consent and respect and, um, how you were even thinking of those things when your kids were little, like before school age. And so I can really relate to that. And, and I think that's why um, I kind of flowed in this direction so easily. I, I often hear unschooling talked about, so people will talk about the kind of like the academic end of unschooling. And then if people are talking about radical unschooling another name i actually don't love but i i understand the purpose that it that it serves and i i understand why some people do it it is a fit for some people but usually it's described so parents try the kind of like the academic end of things and and kids are fairly um self-directed and have lots of choice around what they're learning and then when parents sort of see that and see how capable kids are it, it kind of extends into other areas of their life and and similarly to what I think you're you're saying and what you kind of said too Haley we were kind of the other way around where we were already through that sort of attachment connected parent parenting paradigm we were already respecting things like um you know nobody was having to finish their meal before they could get up from the table or we were um yeah, we didn't have hard, fast rules around chores or uh, 
you know, time on a computer or TV or bedtime. And I think it's hard because people think it's, it's one way or it's another way. And what I found myself saying to people recently, so if somebody says to me, oh, but radical unschooling, I mean, kids don't have a bedtime, you know, and my whole thing is, it's not really that they didn't have a bedtime. They just didn't have a bedtime. (laughs) And I don't know how (laughs) that is probably really not helpful to explain it, but it's not this idea that you just say to your kids, you can do whatever you want. That's not, or at least for us, it, it, it was just a way of living that it didn't make sense to kind of have, I mean, Haley, I've, I've often heard you mention the word arbitrary and it, I love looking at it that way because it's not to say that if we didn't have to leave somewhere really early in the morning, that I wouldn't say, Oh, you know what, guys, let's, let's get settled early tonight. We have an early morning tomorrow. I would say that, that, that was not a problem for me to say, but there wasn't like an arbitrary time and there weren't like consequences if you didn't get into bed at a certain time. And so I think sometimes when we think about it that way, it might be a little, even though the wording isn't quite as clear, a lot of people might not be as far from that as they might first think they are. Um, the other piece, Haley, when you were talking about uh, your daughter in the, um, well, first the uniform and then the, the sitting on the, the carpet. And I think about, I mean, we had many, many moments of that partic- with, with, with one of my kids in particular um, and, and maybe not even as, as um, mellow as the way you're describing, <laughs> the way you're describing it. And so if I looked back at those moments, like I, I, if I was to like time travel back or bring somebody with me, I can think of some situations where people would say, oh, this is just going to be a nightmare. This kid is never going to learn. Like she can't let that go. This is going to turn out really badly. But as you know, because you have adult children as well, it it doesn't turn out badly. (laughs) They, they can assert their opinion about things and they can say no, and they can refuse to do things. And over time, and even in that moment, it doesn't mean they're not caring people. It doesn't mean they're not kind people. And I I mean, I know you and I've just talked a lot, Haley, we both have adult children who are well capable of, and, and willing to follow societal rules and they're caring and they're polite and they're respectful. Um, And, you know, like anything, we're all imperfect, but it's not necessarily related to um, not having been forced to sit on that carpet or. So I, I think those things can seem so huge when kids are little because we're thinking, well, if she doesn't learn to wear the fall uniform, um, she'll never understand that she might have to wear a uniform or, or she'll never, when in fact, over time, she, she might be willing to, or maybe she'll choose a life path where you don't have people getting so worked up about which uniform you have on. Like there's so many ways that that can go. But I think the nice thing about being on this end of this style of parenting is that all of those um, fears that other people have for you. And so then you have them a little bit for yourself too. Cause it's like, I have all these people telling me that if, if I don't like train my baby to sleep through the night, or if I don't push toilet training, or I don't make them tie their shoes or whatever, they're, they're going to be dependent forever. And they're going to be disrespectful and selfish. And, um, 
it's really nice to be on this end of it now <laughs> and see that, no, it's, it's all good. <laughs> like, it's actually really good because you have people who really know themselves. And I think when people respect themselves, they actually have a greater capacity to respect other people as well. Yeah, totally. And that very daughter has a job where she has to wear a uniform and she wears it quite happily. <laughs> and, and, uh, and, and the job that she does, there are a lot of safety rules and, and procedures that she has to follow that, you know, she is very good at, she's very good at following rules and doing those things. So, so yeah, I mean, I love so much of what you said, Erin. And I think it's really hard because I think there's a lot of fear, isn't there? Like, like you were just saying, there's a lot of fear that if we don't do the right things to our children or, or get them to do the right things when they're little, that they're going to end up not being, yeah, not being able to do them when they're older. And I think it's, it's in school, you said, Ashley, about the teachers being kind. And, you know, most people generally are kind, aren't they? And, and, the vast majority of people, you know, love their children and are trying to do the very best for their children. And I don't, I, and and teachers as well. And I feel like it's a, it's more a, a systemic failing than it is a failing at all of any people. I think the systems that we have to work with, in particularly in in schools, I think that the, um, I mean, I can think back to the people that I worked with in a college and I can think about as people and in their personal relationships with the or their their one-to-one relationships let's say with, with students they were very respectful and very kind and very caring and all those things but the system that we had to work within was actually quite disrespectful of the students and you find yourself as a as you know as a a, a teacher I guess a lot of the time you, you find yourself in a, in a really difficult position where you have to enforce rules and regulations that you don't necessarily think are the, the best thing for the children, but you're, you're part of a, a system that needs, I guess, you know, sometimes those rules and regulations seem like, oh, well, you know, to get the job done, we'll, it's kind of, you know, we'll do it because it gets the job done and it, and it gets hopefully that positive um that, that positive end thing where the children leave with the lessons or the, the material, the information, the qualifications, whatever it is, they're going to leave with the things that are going to be good for them that are then going to enable them to go on and do whatever they want to do in life. So it's all coming from a really, it's all coming from a really positive place. But I think one of the things for me, I guess, along with the respect, the thing that I really love is the idea of trusting. And I think it's, trusting yeah trusting our children but it's also about trusting the learning process and that's one of the fundamental principles of unschooling I guess is that learning happens naturally learning happens all the time learning happens you know we can't stop learning from happening because we are it's our nature as human beings to be curious and to learn and to evolve you know we wouldn't have come we wouldn't have got to this state in our society with all you know we wouldn't have iphones and ai and all sorts of things wouldn't have happened if we weren't naturally curious and you know going back to the wheel and goodness knows what 
we are naturally curious beings, I think. And I, th I think, yeah, it, it's, it's remembering that sometimes and being able to hang on to that trusting that learning will happen. And like you say, Ashley, we see that with our little children. It's so it's so obvious. And yet, as a society, we get to the collective point, I guess, where we think, oh, we, we don't know if it's going to carry on. So, you know, we end up sort of following, you know, at least I did, not questioning at all the fact that my children were going to go to school. That just was, that, that, yeah, that, it wasn't even a question for me. That they were just going to school and and that was going to be a good thing mm -hmm. it it makes me think Haley, about how many things that you know we studied in school that were events that happened because of people's self-directed learning so we you know we're in science class learning about all these different inventions and simple machines and you know electrical like electricity all these different things that um, nobody was sitting in a classroom with 30 other kids coming up with this stuff. They were out in fields and they were building and they were, you know, failing. They were failing at things. So it was like, okay, this won't work. Why don't we try this? And they were building on other people's inventions. That's the other thing that I find so um, interesting is just, you know, this in, in school, sharing ideas can be seen as well cheating depending if you've been asked to do group work then you need to be good at doing you need to be able to share ideas but if it's not group work you better not share ideas and yet that is really how things have been invented and how people have come to common understanding and I mean whether it's language or whether it's scientific discoveries or you know any of those sorts of things. My, my husband and I were out for a walk the other morning and he just started, we were kind of looking at the at landmarks and trying to figure out, you know, what, what community are we seeing here or, or what's, you know, what is this in the distance? And he just kind of got marveling about the whole idea of like cartography. And I mean, in North America to have people, I mean, this huge massive land, and to make sense of that and figure out how far is this to this. And, and it really is quite incredible to think about. And you wouldn't really do that if you didn't have an incredible curiosity, if it wasn't useful. Um, so I, I, I do often think about that, that, that we've kind of compressed all these really marvelous things into little sound bites of subjects that, we kind of have to turn our brain off of it because it's a certain time and it's time to move on to something else. Um, but really it's how people have always learned. And as you said, we couldn't have, you know, we, we wouldn't be able to do the things we do and connect in the ways that we do if we weren't natural learners. And I know there's often this conversation about, you know, we talk about John Holt coining the term unschooling, which he, he did as a, as a term, but the actual concept of, living and learning and exploring um, really lived within every single culture always. <laughs> it's, it's really the unschooling thing really comes about because we have to unlearn this way of doing things from this past, like, I don't know, century and a half or so. But yeah, that's just what that brought up for me when you were saying that. 
Yeah, my youngest actually just asked for the first time. So he's seven right now. He asked maybe about a week ago, something along the lines of why is there school? And I was like, Oh, <laughs> where do I start? And it was a really fun conversation to have. Um, and as I was having it with him and kind of giving, you know, a little bit of information um, and I was realizing one, this is going to be, I guess, an ongoing conversation that we probably have together. And also I was kind of like, why I kind of felt like, you to ask this question which is great because obviously that's when he was curious about it so needed the information at that time but I kind of thought you know here's this kiddo go to school if he wants to and chooses to homeschool but I haven't I guess taken the time to kind of I mean we talk about what school is like um and he's curious because he has friends that go to school and stuff but I hadn't taken the time I think I have with the oldest um but probably could again but I hadn't taken the time to kind of explain like school is um hasn't always been around which I think is what he thought I think he thought when he asked that question that school had always been a thing and I know like at seven he's kind of getting to that like he'll ask questions just today I overheard him ask his dad um how much harder is high school math? So there's this curiosity around um, school and what it's like, but also what it um, does for you, I guess. And it was it was an interesting, I'm looking forward to having that conversation um, with him again and, and ongoing because I think it's important for myself to remember, but for them to remember that we all do learn naturally. And um, I know I've said to them before, um, stuff like you don't have to go to school to learn, right? Like, I'll just say like, well, we know like, like you guys don't go to school and you're learning and I'll make a point of saying like, oh, I didn't, I, this is what I learned today. I didn't know that. And I just learned that today um, at that birthday party or wherever. And, but it's, I think because there's my guys, like they're surrounded by people who go to school. Um, the books we read often, the characters are going to school. Uh, like it really stands out to me how much school <laughs> is all around them when they don't go to school. My youngest has never gone to school. Um, so I think it's important for me to have those conversations and just give space and opportunity for them to, um, how do I put this? Like, cause I'm just thinking back, like when I was a kid, I didn't know and people didn't talk to me about learning being a natural process and that you could trust yourself to learn. Whereas now it seems so obvious to me, right? Where I'm just like, I feel like I learn a lot more now um, when I'm curious about something or if I need to learn something or know something, I feel like I learn a lot more that way than I ever did in school. Um, but I didn't think that way as a school kid. And I I guess I, what I'm trying to say is I guess I assumed without realizing that my homeschool kids or my unschool kids would just know that um, because I just think well, they, they're learning all the time and they're not going to school, but they just don't perceive it that way, I guess. So it's good to kind of like have those conversations. Um, yeah. The other thing I wanted to quickly say too about like just trusting that learning process and learning being natural at all ages um, and I saw this somewhere recently. I think it was someone's Instagram post. I don't think I'll remember who it was. And I've come across it more than once. Um, but it's that idea. 
And this is what I'm going to go back to to my youngest to, to talk about again, is this idea that like learning shouldn't be painful because that like helps me um, just understand it that much more. Right. Because we, I can think of a lot of examples where learning just naturally happens and learning is joyful. Learning is really fun, especially when it comes like when it's sparked from curiosity. And then I think I probably was even someone um, as like a younger adult or like when I was going to teacher's college where I kind of would have believed sometimes learning has to be painful or that's normal if learn like so if you're someone if you're a kid who well I'll use myself as an example when I was in um, high school I found math math was my um, like more difficult subject and it was it, at times it would have felt very painful to do to do math. And so I think I learned in through my own experience that, well, sometimes you just have to learn those things and it's not fun and it's really hard and it's painful, but it's really important that you learn it just for the sake of math class, <laughs> not because, you know, I needed to do it for, you know, something in real life. Um, but I'm just, yeah, I'm going to remember to go back and and at some point when it comes up again and talk about that, you know, not to say that, I think it depends on the motivation behind it. It doesn't mean that learning is always joyful. It doesn't mean that we can't learn something that's really difficult. Like there's value in that, but I don't think it's a good idea. I don't want my kids to have this idea that learning should ever really be uh, painful most of the time. Sorry, I went off on a tangent there with that idea. Mm-hmm. Well, I think, I think that um, the thing for for. I mean, if, I think that's my own school experiences as well. That the, the, when you don't understand why you're being taught something, why you've got to go through this whole process of, you know, whatever it is, you can't see what the practical implications are going to be for your life. Then that makes it painful, doesn't it? It's kind of like it, it becomes frustrating if, if, yeah, if it doesn't make sense to you where it fits into, fits into life. And I think that's another thing. That, yeah, in terms of the principles of unschooling is kind of that learning happens as a as a byproduct of life rather than learning be about learning for learning's sake <laughs> um like like learning to read i guess learning to read is not something we do just because um we want to tick a box that we've learned to read we learn to read because we realize that there's lots of information we can access and you know we want to to you know we want to enjoy those stories or we want to be able to we want to be able to read letters that somebody else has written to us we've got, there's all kinds of functions isn't there for for reading but it but I, I guess sometimes we have that disconnect don't we in in um in more formal education settings sometimes it can feel like there's a disconnect you just you are learning for the process of the sake of it, I guess, or for the for the grade, rather than you're actually, um, yeah, rather than actually learning something for the for the joy of it. And as you, you know, as I think you both said about when you when you do when you are enjoying something, when you're getting joy from it, or you you know you're feeling you feel like it has a real there's a real reason for it, then learning is just so much more easier because it because it makes sense there's a reason why you know um so i think yeah that just made so yeah that made so much sense to me as well the fact that um yeah if if things are if things are important then then we're going to learn them because that 
you know, because they're important. And it, not to say that we can't learn things that aren't, you know, lots of us have interests that, that um, you know, maybe it doesn't feel like there's a purpose to them. I mean, I, I, I guess I, I'm not a gardener, but I can think about gardening perhaps. You know, some people might say, well, gardening's got a really important purpose in terms of, you know, might be growing your own food or whatever. But some people aren't interested in that kind of gardening, are they? They're interested in just growing flowers. Now, I know flowers have a great purpose of attracting bees and whatever, but but it doesn't, what I, what I guess I'm saying is it's not all about utility, is it? Learning is not, we, we're not just driven to learn things because they get us somewhere. We also naturally are just curious about things that appeal to us. Mm. And I think sometimes, yeah, that's, sorry, Erin, I was just going to say that fear that children will not learn things unless we force them to is um, not, our, not our experience, I think. I think we have all seen that children will, children will have interest in all kinds of things um, naturally and be motivated to learn that. No, 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 that, no, that's, that's fine. I, um, that idea too about, you know, like, let's say the vegetable garden versus the flower garden. And I think more and more, I'm starting to see that it, it, it's, it's never even quite that clear anyway. Like so often we might think we're interested in something that's, um, maybe frivolous rather than useful or, um, not you know impractical rather than practical but but it all ends up weaving together often so 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 often we'll have an interest in something and you don't really know why you have an interest in that but you dive deep into it and it doesn't necessarily serve a purpose in the moment but it's all it it all weaves together and sometimes something else will come up and you're you're using that information or um there are other times that i think you know, something I've been thinking about lately is the idea of like, um, just beauty and enjoyment. So, I mean, flowers do, do serve some purpose in an ecological way and pollination and all those sorts of things, but even just for their beauty, you know, that is helpful to our mental health and it's helpful. So it's, it's funny how quick we are to define things and kind of put them in their, their places. But then Ashley, you were, when you were talking about the painful piece, <clears throat> like I, the word arbitrary comes up again, you know, that I, I always think of, of Haley when I think of that word, it's that idea that um, kids do do hard things and they do um, really apply themselves and dig into things, but not when it's arbitrary. It's that idea. Yeah. Again, of, of learning something, something for the sake of, of learning it doesn't make sense to a lot of kids. And I know that, you know, I'm thinking hearing me say that or hearing what you said probably um, is a bit confronting for some people, right? So if I had heard somebody say that, you know, 20 years ago, I would have been saying, no, no, kids have to learn. They have to, sometimes you do have to do something just for the sake of it. But how many of us really do that? You know, even if you look at really hard, like let's say somebody takes on a really rigorous um, fitness regimen, there's still a purpose to it. That it, it, it's, it's not somebody else saying for, you know, for no reason other than you have to trust that you might need these really big muscles. <laughs> you have to do this every day at five 30 in the morning. Like, it's just not what we do. 
we, you know, it might not be obvious at first, but we always have some sort of goal that, that we're working toward. Um, and I think similarly to what we were saying, we can see that when we don't push and assign arbitrary learning, it doesn't result in kids that aren't able to work hard. We, we see that the, in fact, I think often kids aren't as burnt out. Like I know that's what we have found just watching things at like a, a post-secondary level of, of learning or the workplace. Um, I think other kids were more burnt out than my kids. They were more liable to cheat. They were more like, it was interesting just to kind of see all that play out as they got, as they got older, it's almost the opposite to what people um, are worried about, I think. Yeah, I think that's so true. And there are so many examples as well. You know, think about things like people climbing Mount Everest and wanting to, to swim the, the English Channel and, and go on a yacht around the world and stuff. But, you know, again, you know, those are not things that those people had to do. Those were choices that they made. And they, you know, and people were prepared to die doing those things because they were, you know, motivation is does not, it's not necessarily, um, I don't, yeah, the, the idea that we need to motivate people by making them do is, is not borne out by our, um, yeah, our norms. And I think the, the, the problem is as well, as, as human beings, I think not only are we sort of driven to learn, but we're also, um, we also don't like to be controlled. And I think when we have a sense that somebody is trying to make us do things, there is an element that we are driven to resist that. And I think um, that is, you know, we kind of work, like you said, Erin, I think it is the almost the opposite of what people expect. They expect that the more you, the more, I don't know, the more you, the more you make a child get up early, let's say, the more likely they are to be able to do that, I guess, or maybe the more inclined they are to do that. Whereas that's not necessarily the case, is it? It's, um, yeah, that difference, I guess, between sort of intrinsic motivation and extreme. Yeah, I think it goes. Yeah. yeah, the the reason why, the reason behind things, like why we do things, that the motivation behind it, not parents and educators, we have this idea that they have, we have to teach them, right? We have to make sure they learn how to be able to do this, or they won't be able to, or they won't want to for any reason, which is really silly when you start to think about it. Another thing that this is bringing up for me is um, learning gaps. Um, and, and, it goes back to fear. I think um, adults, whether, you know, teachers or parents and good intentions, like what you were saying, Haley, good intentions is that we want to prepare our children. Um, we want them to have all the knowledge and be, and all the skills and master all the skills before they become an adult so that they can go off and have a successful, successful life. And I think about and I don't remember ever hearing about this much um, until I started reading more about um, home education, but this idea of learning gaps. Um, 
when you really simplify it, like I think you, we kind of have this idea that we send kids to school for years to fill them with all this knowledge and give them all these opportunities to um, remember all this stuff and master these skills. It is not to say, I mean, of course they're, they're learning things and they are mastering skills, but we all left school with, with different learning gaps. Um, so I'm really trying to, and what I really appreciate kind of like in the unschooling circles, when people talk about, um, creating this environment, creating this space where our kids, um, I don't know if I'm putting this right, like learn how to learn. So this, I really want my kids to have the confidence and the understanding as they grow up that it's not about knowing it all. Um, it's not being able to like, yeah, pass all the quizzes or like get all the trivia and be able to um, be the best speller. It's about knowing that, that for yourself, when you come up against something and you need to learn it for work or for life, or, you know, maybe you're, you need to fix something on your house or something, and you've never done it before. And no one's taught you before. That's not a roadblock for you, you through experience, like, again, I'm, for my kids, I hope that through their experience over these years, they can get to that point where they are just like, I don't know how to do this, but I know how to figure out how to do it. Or I know how to ask someone else to help me. Um, and it, and it's not, um, it's not to say that I don't want them to access school or, or a course or a teacher to, you know, if they, if that's, um, but again, it goes back to that reason why they're wanting to learn whatever it is they're going to learn. Um, and that one really sticks out to me a lot because, um, I hope I haven't already said this on the podcast before, because I know I've shared this story before. Um, you can just stop me if I've already said it. It's I should think of some other examples, but this one always sticks out to me. I was teaching a grade uh, seven, eight class, I think it was. Um, and one student just mentioned we were having a brief conversation as a whole class. And the one student said, um, I really wish they still taught handwriting in school still, because I really want to be able to handwrite. And uh, maybe I remember this because I also really liked handwriting in, in school. Um, and, and she goes, I really wish that they still taught it. Cause I would really love to, to learn how to handwrite. And my response was just like, oh yeah, that's so cool what like you could still learn are you going to are you going to learn to handwrite and she looked at me like well they don't and she said well they don't teach it anymore and I was like right they don't I know they don't have that in school anymore but like if you're interested you could still learn how to handwrite and she just I was confused as to why she was confused and she obviously was like how am I supposed to learn how to do this I talked to her afterwards and she's like how am I supposed to learn to do this if I don't have a teacher teaching me how to do this and so we had a quick little conversation I was like well maybe YouTube videos. I remember saying, maybe you have a grandparent who, you know, probably took handwriting when they were in school um, or an aunt or someone who could sit down with you and just do handwriting with you. Like I wanted to quickly just give her some idea. Like, I'm like, don't let that be a roadblock. Um, you can learn how to handwrite without it being in school. So I share that. And I've shared that with my kids too, because I think like that's something I really appreciate is this idea. Um, and I've heard one in particular, probably more, but one, um, one grown unschooler talk about that, how, um, yeah, she grew up unschooling with her family and her and her siblings as adults have done so many things. And she's like, and we just know that if we don't know how to do something, we can learn how, and it's, and I think other people, I'm sure there's people who go to school who, who 
have that train of thought as well. Um, but I've seen it the other way where, where, um, I mean, I've had other kids like school kids say to my kids, if you don't go to school, how do you learn? Or if they find something like a gap in my kids learning and, and they're like, oh, you haven't learned about this yet. Don't you think you should go to school? Because like you don't know about this. And I learned this at, at school. So it's really interesting having those conversations. Um, but yeah, I think that's all I wanted to say is that that was helpful for me as a parent, a homeschool parent or unschool parent specifically, I guess. I think it's helpful for all parents know that learning gaps are normal um and I just think back I don't remember everything I learned in school that's for sure um and that makes it a lot easier for me to realize that okay so what do we want instead and for me it's that the kids are confident that if they don't know how to do something they can probably figure it out or have someone help them figure it out oh oh my goodness actually you just that there were two things that really stood out for me the the when you were talking, I was just thinking about we don't, we don't, or do we really want a society where everybody knows the same thing or everybody can do the same thing? That that's not really how our society has worked. I, I don't think we function very well like that. We need people with different skills, don't we? We need we need people with different skills, different abilities, different interests, different. Uh, passions, different expertise, all those things help us to be a functioning community and society. And I, and I, I that the whole idea that that um, I mean, it's never going to work anyway. Because as you said, um, you know, I think the other thing that stood out to me is that that learning and teaching are two different things. And whenever we think we're teaching something, say you're teaching something to a classroom full of thirty children if you were to then speak to those 30 children at the end and ask them what they've learned they're not all of going to have learned the same things you know some of them are going to have learned very specific things about what you intended to teach to them and that's great but others will have learned completely different things but you know that and it's the same when we have a conversation with um just in, in our general conversations quite often um we get the sense, I guess, that, that somebody else is not taking from the conversation the same thing that we are, or we can have another conversation a bit later and reflect on a previous conversation we've had and realise that we didn't take away the same meaning from that conversation. Because we're all, whenever we, whenever we hear something, I guess all of us have a different foundation, we have a different ground that that thing that, is, that, thing that we're learning is hitting. And so when it hits everything we've already learned, it, it's gonna, it's, it's gonna, um, oh, I don't know how to explain this. It's gonna, it's, it's gonna land in a different way for every person, isn't it? There's gonna be different significances that we take from, from different conversations. Um, and I feel like, yeah, yeah, those things just stood out to me. The idea that actually we don't want a standard, we don't really, really, truly, we don't want a society where everybody so having that as a kind of aim is, is kind of weird but then it's okay because that's never going to happen anyway however much we try and standardize things that's not going to be it's not going to be the case is it's all going to take you have a blog post Haley. um i have no idea which one it is but you you i, I remember um i think you're describing a student sitting in a classroom 
and there's information being presented. And so one child is um, kind of, their brain is just ready and interested in that information. So they're, they're taking it in as is intended, maybe. And I'm, I'm like, I'm using some artistic license here. This isn't exactly what you said, but this is what I took from it. Um, and then another child might be, uh, there might be something internal happening for them. So that the teacher is saying something, but, you know, they're processing something internally. Um, another child might be looking at the way the light is hitting the floor through the window. And so it's become almost like a, maybe an artistic moment for them, or maybe it's a scientific thing that they're seeing and they're noticing. Um, so yeah, you can present this information, but everybody's taking it in so differently. Um, and even maybe the child that was really prepped to take it in, they might've only taken it in for a period of time, but if it's not relevant, they lose that, you know, they, they might even lose a lot of that information or, or temporarily kind of it, it slips or whatever. So I love that point about gaps, Ashley, because even if you are presenting, I mean, you can just see it even with two different children in your own home, right? You're, you're reading the same story and kids are getting completely different um, things from it. And the handwriting thing is interesting. I, I was laughing a little bit, Ashley, because I have recently heard that our province is bringing handwriting back in. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. So they're re-emphasizing that, which is kind of funny, but it also goes to tell you how random some of this stuff is, right? So, you know, school board decides this is more important. So we're not going to allocate time to this. Oh, wait, now it is. So the kids that were in those grades for those, let's say four to five years now have this gap, so to speak. But we know, as you said, that they can, you know, they can learn things as they become, become important. But the other thing that the handwriting reminded me of is the idea, I think, in unschooling that as parents, it broadens our minds so much around not only trust, I feel like trust could be a whole topic on its own, um, if we haven't already talked about that one before. But I think it also, by seeing how different kids are, it opens our mind to different possibilities. So for example, I've heard people say, um, so, you know, are you in the camp that thinks handwriting is important or not? And I would say I'm in both camps and I'm in, so there's some science around, um, the fact that the act of handwriting, you know, creates some brain connections that keyboarding or texting just, just doesn't. And I believe that I, I feel that for myself, that, that there's something about handwriting and putting things down that helps you process the information that, that makes some connections. So that, so from that perspective, I would say, yeah, it, it is really important, but I also have seen how, you know, one of my kids in particular, it was just such a challenge that, you know, is it a make or break thing? No. Like he eventually learned to handwrite, yes, but he doesn't, it's not his natural thing. So he's always going to type or, or, or text rather than handwrite versus my daughter who kind of similarly to what, what I, I think we, you might've mentioned in, a, in another episode, Ashley, but she, the act of writing 
and learning different type. Um, I think it's called typography, she calls it. So she actually dives into that stuff. And for her process, it's very important to have that skill. And she's, you know, she's really interested in, in writing and illustrating. So she wants to be able to incorporate some of that. So yes, it's important. And also it's not. <laughs> and, and I think that that's what unschooling has done is it kind of allowed me to see that things are only as important as they are for the individual. And two things can be true at the same time, right? So it's, it's similar to a lot of the conversations, whether it's reading, whether it's technology and screens. I mean, these aren't yes or no things. They depend on the child and the context. And I think that as parents, this way of doing things really keeps us on our toes. For me, it does at least where you're just constantly questioning your assumptions and trying to imagine it through another lens or another, another person's perspective. Yeah. And I think it really highlights, again, I go back to what's coming up for me is this idea of trust, um, which can be really, really difficult. And I think like from my own experience, I have, I'm actually having a moment right now this past week where I'm having all those um, like doubts and worries creep up. And I don't even, I can't even put my finger on why that is happening right now. Um, But these worries that they're not doing enough. They're not learning enough. I'm not making sure they're learning enough. Right. And because I've been here before and I know I won't stay here, I'm, I'm okay. And I'm just letting it happen. Um, But I think it's, it's remembering and knowing that there's um, there's not only one way to learn anything. Right. So like what you were saying, Aaron, like handwriting is important for some people and not for others. It makes me think about, I showed, um, we had a doctor's note done recently where the, our doctor, hand wrote on our on this form and I made a point of bringing it home and showing my guys and saying I forget how I presented it but it was really fun and um their dad my husband has very neat hand printing he's he's left-handed he has very neat hand printing and of course our doctor does not (laughs) have a neat uh hand printing or handwriting at all um it's what like it's it's difficult to read but I brought that in, had like a fun little, it wasn't long, but a little conversation with them about like, uh, because both of my two, uh, so they're 10 and seven, um, don't enjoy, at least at this point, they don't enjoy handwriting or you know, they would much rather be on the computer um, if they have to. Um, but I thought, here's a great example. Like, here's someone who's went to med- medical school. Here's someone who's become a doctor. Not that that, you know, I'm not trying to put that up on a pedestal, but here's someone who's, you know, has a career. Um, and, and look at their handwriting. They, they, it's hard to read and and that's okay. Um, but just that idea that like, we don't all have to be really good at everything. And like you said, Aaron, like the schools, it's always changing. Well, this is what literacy is important now. Now numeracy is important. It's all important. And it really all does come down to that individual person. So for the home educating parents, especially, I think we have to like rely a lot on like being with our kids so we can observe our kids so that we can see that they're okay and that they are continuing to learn. And then that allows that trust to like be a a space that we can, that we can stay in, even though like some of us have wobbles like I am right now. Um, And then I just really quickly wanted to, I'm trying, I'm in my mind, I'm making this connection with what you guys both just said, because Haley, you mentioned autonomy and this like very natural thing of people just not wanting to be controlled. Like 
there's that's there for a reason. Um, so I think it all kind of connects. Like it makes sense that we're giving space to trust our kids to be autonomous learners um, and talking about like, well, what is taught in school and who decides what's taught in school? If, if our kids are having to learn stuff that someone else is telling you all day, this is important to learn. This is what you need to work on. They're not, they're going to lose that time where they can be autonomous. And we know, because we know that learning happens naturally, that we can trust that. I mean, my argument would be that that's where the learning is going to happen a lot more. I'm, we're probably all on the same page with that, right? Like when they're um, making most, if not all the choices on how they're spending their time and what they're doing and what they're learning. Um, like, I think that's where the, where the real learning happens. So yeah, I don't know. Just as you guys were talking, like uh, all those things are really connecting for me in my brain. I don't think I'm doing a good job laying it out. I feel like I need to, to um, I don't know, maybe like a Venn diagram or something <laughs> with like autonomy and natural learning and trust. And then in the middle, see what ends up in there. Well, I think, I think we need, um, well, I think I'm guessing that lots of people would find it really helpful to, yeah, to, to if we, maybe if we in a different episode think about what yeah what our role is as an unschooling parent perhaps how do we facilitate all this wonderful stuff that we've just been talking about you know where do we fit into all of that so I think um yeah that would be a really a really cool other episode and another thing that I think um I would really appreciate definitely is exploring just what you said Ashley about wobbles we all have them we, yeah, we all, you know, we all have them and they, and like you said, you've been here before, you'll, you know, you, you know that you won't always stay here. And I'm guessing if you're anything like me, you're going to come back here again another time. So kind of, yeah, maybe that's, uh, that would be a really useful topic as well to explore about, um, yeah, what happens when we wobble. And I know, I, I know we're kind of ready to wrap up here probably. And it's been a while, but I just, one more thing <laughs> I want to say, cause Ashley, this idea of gaps, um, kind of looking at it from the other end of things now where my kids are older and having, and there are gaps, like some, sometimes there are some academic gaps, but what I'm actually finding more than that, um, the academic gap thing is interesting because really as you become an adult, nobody like you're not tested on all this stuff. So I'm not even, they are not particularly obvious to me if there are academic gaps, but I will say that um, sometimes my kids identify their own gaps. And so I've had a child, like an adult child say to me recently that they feel, for example, that their like practical skills around meal prep and baking are not, what they would like them to be. What had happened is I'd noticed they'd made this big um, list of recipes and websites. And I was like, Oh, what's this all about? And, you know, they just indicated they felt they didn't have good skills in this area. And we just talked a little bit about the fact that there were a couple of other siblings who were, were quite interested in that area. So they tended to do that. And then of course, if you're not, vying to be the one to do that you maybe tend to sit back and have the meal made for you right and so I was thinking about how that could be framed like you know I didn't force them to learn to cook as much as I did the others or whatever 
but it just hits me again how it's not like they identified that in themselves like I have a gap here that I feel I didn't learn um so two things they didn't put that on me as as you know mom you were the one responsible for teaching me all this and I don't know as much as I know in this area they took it upon themselves to kind of you know source out some information and figure out um what would help them learn to be stronger in this area so that they could could do more of this but I'm also willing as a parent to look at that pattern and go hmm I never really thought about this that much but yeah if you have a sibling or two who are really keen to do this, then really the other person, unless they're asserting themselves, maybe doesn't end up doing it. Um, And I'm, I don't feel I have to do this, but I'm happy to support that, you know, whether it's kind of offering some recipes or offering some opportunities or um, talking a little bit about meal planning and kind of how to, how to do that in a way that makes sense for them. So I just wanted to say that about the gaps that, A, they're not the end of the world. (laughs) B, kids often identify them themselves. C, they often come up with their own solution. And D, if they don't or they want some partnership, we don't have to say, well, that's it. My kid's 18. I'm done. We're we're always living together. And and, I mean, even if we're not living in the same house, we're living in partnership with people in our lives. And we can, there's no like end date to when we can be supportive or or facilitating things so I just kind of wanted to throw that out there because I'm I'm seeing some of that gap stuff in real time and just seeing that it's not such a big deal yeah I, I think that's yeah I think that's really yeah really reassuring and powerful and and for me the the amount of times that yeah my children have blown me away with the things that they taught me or that I've learned from them is is um yeah it is definite testimony to the fact that none of us know everything do we we you know that is the, the thing we're never going to know everything um and we've still got so much more to learn but that sound that seems like a good place for us to to finish the episode today and as always it's been really lovely chatting with you and I look forward to the next time and thank you everybody for listening and um yeah and we'll see you again soon sounds good thanks to you both bye-bye bye see ya and this ends our conversation today we hope you found it interesting and helpful if you'd like to connect further or see additional content, Erin can be found on the web and on Instagram at everlearning. Ashley can be found on Instagram at Ashley as Mama and Storytime Shells. And I, Haley, can be found on the web and on Instagram at Taking a Kinder Path. We'd love it if you'd share this conversation with anyone you think might like it. And if you've enjoyed this episode, maybe you'd consider leaving us a review. We'd love to hear your thoughts. We're so grateful you made time in your day to listen to us chat. Thanks so much for listening.